together again. Everybody reach into the help of the Lord today. All right, most everybody. There's, if you didn't yet, it's a good time to start. I'll tell you that. Yeah, exactly. Okay, we're going to pray and gather. Lord, we thank you for the night. We thank you, Lord, for your purpose uh, that is at work, Lord, greater than we can even know, Lord. We thank you for your strength, your help, Lord, uh, that is at work uh, in such a personal way, Lord. We ask, Lord, that we would be aware of that, Lord, continue to open our eyes to that, Lord. We thank you, Lord, for strengthening the house tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's go.
sitting down. It's funny, I actually had a dream last night before Brother Bill asked me to share that I was preaching. But in the dream, I was laying on a couch. And I was, ex yeah, I would settle for a love seat actually. Um, so that was pretty great. Um, yeah. Confirmation. That's what I like. Indeed. So I wasn't born yet when some of these churches and communities and fellowships were first established. But I have heard some good stories and seen some pictures over the years. <clears throat> and yeah, well, one time, this is a story that I think is true. It sounds like something that would have happened. My dad was having a praise service with his guitar and some friends in a public place. And someone walked up and said, who are you people? And my dad said, we're the sons of God. Yeah, it sounds like something that probably could have happened last week. Um, <laughs> But I know somewhere in the archives here is a good picture of some people with signs at a demonstration or a protest or something. There were a lot of perms on men, including <laughs> Brother Kurt, I think, may have experimented. I was thinking that would be a nice surprise for Sister Brenda. But I know there was some excitement sort of centering around the idea of being in the first fruits and sort of being the first group of people perhaps to walk into some level of corporate perfection and then we would presently lead creation into the glorious freedom and also chastise the wicked as needed. Um, Anyway, you know, the gift and the calling of God is without repentance, is what the scripture says. So I don't think the actual intention of God with his people has really changed a lot over the years. Um, I liked what I think Brother Ted was singing. You know, the word of God goes forth and it doesn't return void, but it, it accomplishes that which it was sent to do, and it prospers. But I think in the ensuing years, God has perhaps added some dimension and depth to our understanding of what actually <clears throat> the process is of, of God building together a body that really is suitable to actually live and fellowship with him and enjoy him forever, which is a pretty tremendous thing. And as far as being excited about it, if you want to look at Psalm 105, there's a great story about the first fruits. And I think if some of you guys had read this earlier, maybe you would have been a little bit scared, so probably it was good. But it's talking about, it must have been quite a psalm. Uh, it really goes through kind of the whole history of the people of God. And it says, let's see here. Maybe we'll go to verse 16. It says, Moreover, he called for a famine upon the land, and he brake the whole staff of bread. And then it says, He sent a man before them, even Joseph, who was sold for a servant, whose feet they hurt with fetters. And he was laid in iron, and until the time that his word came, the word of the Lord tried him. And I think that's a, a pretty good summary. Hmm, One of these days I will learn some English. It's a good summary, I think, of the way that God actually deals with his people. You know, his intention was indeed to send Joseph before the people in order to preserve them. And, you know, you read about the whole story and that God's picking out a person and he's accomplishing a work of salvation. And he selects a person, if you read the story, who just seems from the outset wholly unsuitable for the purpose. And most of the story is this series of events 
that Joseph must undergo in order to establish a particular character in him so that he will act appropriately in the final circumstances that God has orchestrated from the beginning. And he would act in a way that would be totally unimaginable from the outset. And we don't have to read the whole story, but we could look over in Genesis 37. My daughter has been learning or listening to the Odyssey adventure tapes. <clears throat> so she's been listening to the story of Joseph. And uh, they dramatize it as they do. Um, you know, it's pretty funny. We don't, I'm sure most of us are familiar with it. Although I've been, as my daughter gets interested in Bible stories, it's, it's funny when you start to realize that kids don't just come preloaded with Bible stories. They actually, you know, for some people, this is like their first time. So, <laughs> you know. So it says uh, in 37, I'll just kind of skip through. It says, now Israel, verse 3, now Israel loved Joseph more than all his children because he was the son of his old age and he made him a coat of many colors. When his brethren saw his father loved him more than all his brethren, they hated him and could not speak peaceably unto him. And Joseph dreamed a dream and he told it his brethren and they hated him yet the more. And he said to them, here I pray you, this dream which I have dreamed. For behold, we were binding sheaves in a field, and lo, my sheaf arose and also stood upright, and behold, your sheaves stood round about and made obeisance to my sheaf. This is great. It probably is in hindsight good that the Lord removed some of our fellowships to the wilderness so that we did not uncover some of the great things that were happening that we would talk about uh, that not everybody knows. Um, <clears throat> and then he... Does he one-ups himself and he dreams another dream and told it his brethren and said, Behold, I dream a dream more, because I have not read Dale Carnegie's book, How to Win Friends and Influence People. <laughs> Behold, the sun and the moon and the eleven stars made obeisance to me. And he told it his father and his brethren. And his father rebuked him and said unto him, What is this dream thou hast dreamed? Shall I and thy mother and thy brethren indeed come down bow to you anyway? And, you know, the story goes on. He gets sent out to see his brother and they strip him of his coat, his coat of many colors that was on him, as it says in 23. And they took him and cast him in a pit and the pit was empty. There was no water in it. And they sat down to eat bread and they lifted up their eyes and there's Ishmaelites coming and they sell him for 20 pieces of silver. And so here he is, you know, a slave in Egypt. And that's the end of chapter 37. And interestingly, the Adventures in Odyssey tape skips chapter 38 totally. I don't have any idea why that would be, but picked up again in 39 verse one. Um, <clears throat> so Joseph was brought down to Egypt and Potiphar, an officer, a Pharaoh, captain of the guard, bought him of the hands of the Ishmaelites and brought him down thither. And then in verse three, I love, well, I'll even just start in verse two. I love how, the scripture kind of inserts these little comments that the Lord was with Joseph. And this is kind of the thing that, you know, you, as you read some of these stories, you keep seeing these little pieces that are really important because, you know, it's almost like <clears throat> someone could be reading the story. And sometimes I think this happens as we live. There's always the internal critic, right? Who says, hmm, this doesn't appear to be the fulfillment of the mystic vision, which you thought that you had at the outset. Um, clearly, something has gone wrong. So I think it's important that there's these little verses that say, you know, the Lord was with him um, in verse 3. And the master saw that the Lord was with him, and the Lord made all that he did to prosper in his hand. And Joseph found grace in his sight and served him. And, you know, there's all these places, too, where it's like the story could have maybe ended here or whatever. And then he has some trouble with, uh, with uh, his wife, um, Potiphar's wife. And he gets thrown into prison. Um, but then it says, I think in uh, verse, let's see, verse 21, it says, The Lord was with Joseph and showed him mercy and gave him favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison. And, um, you know, it says, The keeper of the prison looked not to anything that was under his hand because the Lord was with him. And that which he did, the Lord made it to prosper. And, you know, there's just these crazy things that happened to him, the whole baker and the butler thing, where it's like, you know, 
Joseph has this spiritual gift. He interprets dreams. He tells the guy, you know, look, remember me. You're going to be hung. Sorry. You will go back to working for the king. Please remember me. And somehow that whole incident just sort of evaporated out of the hand of him. You can kind of see how maybe the butler was got into prison in the first place because he was not super mindful of what he was doing, which is probably not the greatest thing to be doing when you're working for Pharaoh. Um, but again, you know, like at, at every stage, it says the Lord was still with Joseph. The Lord was with Joseph. He was showing him mercy. And then at the end, you know, we don't have to read the whole thing, but there's, there's a famine in all of Egypt. Um, and Joseph has stored up corn, lots of corn. And so then there's even a famine in the land of Canaan where Jacob is living. And, you know, I won't belabor the story unduly. But he sends his sons to get it, and Joseph realizes eventually who they are. And, you know, all of this is getting to the point, which is that it's tremendous, because God is working on everybody <laughs> all at the same time over a period of years to get a people of a particular character and then to save and to preserve and to establish them in a particular place at a particular time, you know, and maybe I'll read the, just the very end because I think there's a lot of going back and forth of cups and the sacks and grain and arresting people and getting back and, and forth. Um, but in 45 verse one, it says, Joseph could not refrain himself before all of them that stood by him. And he cried and said, cause every man to go out for me. And there stood no man with him. And he made himself known to his brethren. And he wept aloud and the Egyptians and the house of Pharaoh heard. And Joseph said unto his brethren, I am Joseph, doth my father yet live? And his brethren could not answer him for they were troubled at his presence. No kidding. And he said, come near to me, I pray you. And they came near and he said, I am Joseph, your brother, whom ye sold into Egypt. Now, therefore, be not grieved nor angry with yourselves that ye sold me hither, for God did send me before you to preserve life. And these two years hath the famine been in the land, and yet there are five years in which there shall be neither be earring nor harvest, and God sent me before you to preserve you a posterity in the earth and to save your lives by a great deliverance. And I was thinking about, you know, <clears throat> I think John Cheever, when he was here, was talking about, you know, how it's sort of inscrutable how Paul writes about himself being a ransom for the children of Israel by the flesh. And, you know, like, how is it that, you know, most of us can hardly, you know, get up in the morning and, and do what we need to do besides, you know, somehow extending to others, you know, <laughs> in that way. But there is a real sense in which, you know, the Lord is doing this tremendous work where he brings Joseph to the point where he fulfills totally the vision and the dream that he had, but he's also bringing Joseph to the point where the people who betrayed and sold him into slavery are literally, utterly at his mercy and cannot offer him anything. And he has the option to do whatever he wants. Like, he's, you know, functionally sort of in charge of the mightiest nation of the ancient world. And there's nothing that he couldn't have ordered happen to these people. But he recognizes at that time what actually the Spirit of the Lord is doing. You know, and it's, a, it's an incredible level of character that God brings someone to before he gives them the power to do whatever it would be in his heart to do. He also has at the same time established this character that actually realizes that the Spirit of the Lord is oriented to preserve the life that's there you know like the I like that story I think it's Elisha you know when the servant is scared and they're surrounded by Assyrians and he says you know I pray open his eyes and he sees that there's chariots and horsemen and so forth and then he, he prays to the God and, and strikes the Assyrians blind and then the Assyrians are all blind and they sort of round them up and the king says now I've got an idea why don't we kill them all and he's like no you know give them something to eat let them go like you know the Lord, I think it's been good. You know, the Lord has not 
committed us a certain level of executive potency uh, <laughs> without having, <laughs> at the same time, sort of given us a covering and a, you know, a certain amount of concealment to deal with us, you know, to bring us to a point where we, we really are an exhibition and a demonstration of his spirit. You know, and I think that that's the way that the Lord works. He doesn't, uh, you know, give you more horsepower than you can, uh, you know, work with. <laughs> Um, there's another story it's pretty out of control but we could read a little bit about it the story of Samson and I actually love I hadn't remembered the very first part of it I guess where Samson's mom and dad are met by the angel let's say is it in Judges 14 maybe? Uh, no it's earlier than that yeah, there was, it says in 13 verse 1, you know, there's a certain man of Zorah of the family of the Danites whose name was Manoah, and his wife was barren and bare not. So verse 3, an angel of the Lord appears to the woman and says, Behold now, thou art barren and bearest not, but thou shalt conceive and bear a son. And she tell, uh, the angel tells her about the Nazarite vow, and we know about that. And He shall not drink strong drink, neither eat any unclean thing. So then this is kind of an interesting part. <clears throat> she runs and tells her husband. And she tells him what the angel said. And there's this funny part where <laughs> Manoah, the angel reveals himself to Manoah, the, the father, in uh, verse 17. It says, Manoah said unto the angel of the Lord, what is thy name that when thy sayings come to pass, we may do thee honor? And the angel of the Lord said unto him, why askest thou thus after my name, seeing it is a secret? So Manoah took a kid with a meat offering and offered it upon a rock unto the Lord, and the angel did wondrously. And Manoah and his wife looked on, for it came to pass that when the flame went upward, sorry, when the flame went up toward heaven from off the altar, that the angel of the Lord ascended in the flame of the altar. That's quite a thing. And Manoah and his wife looked on it and fell on their faces to the ground. But the angel of the Lord did no more appear to Manoah and his wife. And then Manoah knew he was an angel of the Lord, and Manoah said unto his wife, this is funny. We shall surely die because we have seen God. But his wife said unto him, If the Lord were pleased to kill us, he would not have received a burnt offering and a meat offering at our hands. Neither would he have showed us all these things. Nor would, <laughs> nor would as at this time, have told us such things as these. Uh, smart lady. Um, and I actually kind of think, <clears throat> you know, a little bit. Just when you think of, like, all the things that have happened to us, it's so preposterous in some ways. Like... Sometimes I think, you know, if someone was to command me to produce indubitable evidence that the body of Christ was, yea, verily, converging upon the head, you know, growing up into the head of being Christ and would presently be pushed over the threshold, as we heard on Saturday, you know, this next word is going to push the body over the threshold and we're going to be like in a totally different place. Um, you know, it would be difficult for me to produce evidence of that, perhaps, that, that couldn't be argued against, of what progress and growth has occurred in the body of Christ. You know, there's always, the voice of the accuser always has ample evidence of all of the errors and problems and deceptions and, and so forth. But, you know, sometimes, at the very least, you can say, if God were pleased to kill us, he would not receive our offerings, he would not have let us see the things we've seen, you know. He wouldn't have showed us what he's shown us. He wouldn't have allowed us to establish these preposterous places that we, <laughs> that we have done across the river, down the slope, you know, up and wherever, and, oh, we'll put this army base here that can give them lots of work, you know, it's just... It's just, you know, at some point you have to say it's, a, it's just absurd enough that it, it has to be, in some sense, sustained by God, yeah. I guess. But anyway, Samson, Samson grew up and was, despite his sheltered upbringing, quite a character. An interesting thing about Samson, too, is that, <clears throat> you know, a lot of people draw pictures of him like he was this enormous, just muscly guy. But actually, most of the time when he does things, it says, like, the Spirit of the Lord fell on him, and he did such and such. So, could have just been one of those, like, little guy with big attitude sort of people. 
don't know if we have any people like that around. Uh, has anyone seen Keto's new shirt? It's pretty, it's pretty good. Uh, it's pretty good. Good stuff. Anyway, so he, you know, he goes and he, uh, Samson went down to Timnath and saw a woman in Timnath of the daughters of the Philistines. He came up and told his father and his mother and said, I have seen a woman in Timnath of the daughters of the Philistines. Now, therefore, get her for me to wife. And okay. So clearly he was not into sophisticated courtship rituals. And they're asking him about, you know, well, is there anyone else in our nation, perhaps, that we're not at war with? Uh, that you go to take a wife of the uncircumcised Philistines. And Samson said unto his father, get her for me, for she pleaseth me well. Okay. And he drops this great, uh, well, he kills a lion just kind of randomly, like as he's walking by or whatever. And, you know, then <laughs> he has a, made a feast, verse 10, for so used the young men to do. So... And it came to pass when they saw him, they brought 30 companions to be with him. And Samson said unto them, I will now put forth a riddle unto you. If you can certainly declare it to me within seven days of the feast and I find it and find it out, then I will give you 30 sheets and 30 change of garments, which is pretty cool if you need more sheets. Um, anyway, it's just wild. You know, like later on it says, um, Samson's wife wept before him like the whole feast, seven days. Um, she wept before him the seven days while the feast lasted. She lays sore upon him and, you know, then she finally finds out the riddle and then he says, I can't go by this. He says, uh, if ye had not plowed with my heifer, ye had not found out my riddle. Like this guy is, is great. And this is the guy who judged Israel for 20 years. Like sometimes, I think I was talking with Brother Abel last weekend and I said, I wondered why God didn't maybe start with some raw materials that were a little bit more close to the end result of what it appears that he's looking for. Um, seems like it would have been easier if I were to consult, work as a consultant for God. I would suggest to him, given the extravagance of what he's wanting to produce, someone who would shed abroad the love of God perfectly from their pure hearts and so forth, that it would have been great if he had wanted to start with someone a little more similar uh, instead of what he actually chose. Uh, nonetheless, God did not inquire about that to me. Um, but yeah, he pulls up city gates. He goes to see and do things he shouldn't be doing. Uh, he, kills, he kills a thousand men with a jawbone and then he's thirsty. And he says, Lord, <laughs> he calls on the Lord. Thou hast given this great deliverance into the hand of the servant, and now shall I die for thirst? Uh, uh, you know, but there's actually, in one of the earlier chapters, there's this funny thing. When he's going to try to marry this daughter of the Philistines, it says, his parents didn't realize, but the Lord sought occasion against the Philistines. You know, and, and even in this, you know, this person is just absolutely out of control. Um, pretty rowdy person, um, but... You know, you can kind of see, again, like these little verses where there's like, there's an indication that the Lord actually knew what was happening here. Um, it wasn't as out of control as it appeared. And the Lord was actually using this and working because even in, in Samson, there was something that the Lord was trying to establish in him for an ultimate purpose, you know. And we know that about Delilah, you know, the lords of the Philistines, threaten her, they do all sorts of things to get the secret of his great strength. And we know that, you know, he was shaven and his eyes were put out. And, it, you know, it says in verse 18 of Judges 16, when Delilah saw that he had told her all his heart, she sent and called for the lords of the Philistines saying, come up at once, he has showed me all his heart. And then the lords of the Philistines came up unto her and brought money in their hand. She made him sleep upon her knees, etc., etc. And it says, the Philistines, in verse 21, they took him, put out his eyes, and brought him down to Gaza, and bound him with fetters of brass, and he did grind in the prison house. Interestingly, just like Joseph, he was laid in fetters of brass. It says, howbeit the hair of his head began to grow again after he was shaven. And the lords of the Philistines gathered them together, 
for to offer a great sacrifice unto Dagon their god, and to rejoice. For they said, Our god hath delivered Samson, our enemy, into our hand. And when the people saw him, they praised their god. For they said, Our god hath delivered into our hands our enemy, and the destroyer of our country, which slew many of us. And it came to pass, when their hearts were merry, that they said, Call for Samson, that he may make us sport. And they called for Samson out of the prison house. And he made them sport, and they set him between the pillars. And Samson said unto the lad that held him by the hand, Suffer me that I may feel the pillars whereupon the house standeth, that I may lean upon them. Now the house was full of men and women, and all the lords of the Philistines were there. And there were upon the roof about three thousand men and women that beheld while Samson made sport. And Samson called unto the Lord and said, O Lord God, remember me, I pray thee, and strengthen me, I pray thee, only this once, O God, that I may be avenged to the Philistines for my two eyes. And Samson took hold of the two middle pillars upon which the house stood, and on which it was borne up, of the one in his right hand and the other with his left. And Samson said, Let me die with the Philistines. And he bowed himself with all his might. And the house fell upon the lords and upon all the people that were therein. And so the dead which he slew at his death, which is a funny way to put it, the dead he slew at his death, were more than they which he slew in his life. It's like when they woke up and they were all dead. Um, okay. If you say so. Uh, but you can kind of see that all throughout his life, you know, God was bringing him through unimaginably difficult circumstances to get to a certain product at the end. Um, reminds me of this, the quote uh, by Thomas Aquinas, I think it was. Um, John Cheever was the first person who I heard uh, bring it up, but he was talking about love. And he said, love is the will to the good of another, not yourself at your own expense. Um, I think that was the, the quote of it. I actually tried to find it online and I was having trouble. I could find like parts of it. So maybe something that John Cheever made up, but it was pretty good. Um, you know, that's the, it's the story of what God is, is doing with his people is he takes people who appear from the outset to be completely unsuitable to ever act as the end products you know, and to demonstrate his power, apparently, uh, he has determined to work with us. Um, I've been listening to this series of interviews by this guy. His name, if you ever have time, any of you, it's a well worth, worth uh, story this guy has to tell. His name is Ed Calderon. He was a, a Mexican law enforcement agent of some sort. He never actually reveals precisely the name of the people he worked with, but he had a somewhat tumultuous uh, childhood. And he wound up volunteering, basically, for this law enforcement agency um, to work against narcotic traffickers. And he had a pretty rowdy experience. Um, he wound up being somewhat estranged from his family for a while. And he didn't, <clears throat> he didn't talk to his father for like, a decade or something, and he was doing some pretty, pretty crazy things, as one would imagine. Um, the training and uh, <laughs> and the things that that you would be called upon to do if you were working in the Mexican special forces, working against uh, drug cartels, is is pretty um, pretty heavy duty. But anyway, <laughs> he had this really interesting story, though. He said he eventually got back to on speaking terms with his father, and his father passed away a few years later. And he was going through his father's effects, and he saw his father had been reading his newspaper, apparently, one day, and he had caught a picture of his son. But his son was wearing a helmet and a mask and full, like, tactical armor and rifle and everything. And, you know, in this tiny thumbnail, he had picked out his eyes. Just all that you could see was, like, this much. And so he, you know, his Ed shows his picture, you know, it's just incredible that he could make out, you know, who it was. But he said it was tremendously meaningful to him that his father recognized him, you know, just leafing through the newspaper. He saw, all he could see was just this tiny patch um, of his eyes, but he said it was, you know, it was unbelievable. You know, like we weren't even speaking at the time, we had all this difficulty, but, you know, but he said it was, um, it was so compelling that my father knew me, you know. And um, I thought it was a great, it was a great illustration, you know, like you, <clears throat> you don't always have the, the level of contact, the level of confirmation, you know, from day to day as you go through things. 
But, you know, you can be picked out in the crowd um, by your father, you know. Uh, there's a good scripture, kind of wind things up here. In uh, 1 Peter 2, one of my favorites, which I will read to you. There's a verse about Jesus, which not a bad thing to consider. He says, uh, starting verse 21, For even hereunto were ye called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example, that ye should follow his steps. Who did no sin, neither was guile found in his mouth. Who, when he was reviled, reviled not again. When he suffered, he threatened not, but committed himself to him that judgeth righteously. And I think that's about the best that any of us can do. Um, you know, sometimes I kind of think of being a part of the program of God is sort of like waking up and finding yourself strapped to an amusement park ride or something that, you know, you didn't ask to be here on this roller coaster. Um, you don't know where the roller coaster is going precisely. Uh, and sometimes it, it seems that you don't even have a lot to contribute, you know, to the motion thereof. Like, we just are so, so dependent upon the Lord at every step. You know, like we just, we cannot resource a single thing. You know, anything that you and I have to offer to any circumstance, we only have because it was given to us by God to offer it. You know, like, you really can't take any of this to yourself. Uh, but it says, you know, all you can do is commit yourself to the one who judges righteously, you know, and say, Lord, I, I think that you have a transcendent, higher understanding about this circumstance than I have. Um, and it says, Who his own self bear our sins in his own body on the tree, that we, being dead to sins, should live unto righteousness, by whose stripes ye were healed. For ye were as sheep going astray, but are now returned unto the shepherd and bishop of your souls. Amen. Wherever you sit tonight, um, you have to know <laughs> who is suited for this. And I'm sure we've all asked ourselves that question. Thank you so much. It's very clear that uh, God has to be with these people, and he, he chooses those that aren't much, that they would be dependent on him for the conclusion of what's happening. We thank you very much, really. Very encouraging, wouldn't you say? Yes. Haven't you been surprised at yourself that you're still here? What am I doing here? Why me? Dear God. Father, we thank you for the, the anointing, the capacity, and the staying power that you've given us by your hand. We were never fit for it, never thought of it, that this was something that we could accomplish. But your closeness and your faithfulness has helped us and encouraged us, regardless of the, the zig and the zag, the delay and the, the inability to fully get it except that we keep moving and have moved by your hand. And so we thank you, great God, for your care and how you've helped us as we've gone for Jesus' sake. Amen.